Hello and welcome to the reading of The Courier for Tuesday, the 14th of February. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody out there. All right, I am your narrator, uh, host, Peter Welch, and you are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind. And let's take a look at what's going on here in The Courier today here for the 14th of February. Plan may reduce services for the blind, those at hearing wary of impact of governor's proposed realignment. In Des Moines, blind Iowans poured into a legislative hearing Monday to express strong disagreement with an element of Governor Kim Reynolds' proposal to realign state government that would enable her to appoint the director of the state agency that provides services for the blind. Currently, a three-member commission of gubernatorial appointees in the Iowa Department of the Blind elect officers, including the agency's director. Under Reynolds' sweeping proposal to realign state government, the director also would be appointed by the governor and subject to confirmation by the Iowa State or Senate. Blind Iowans, including the state agency's current director, said that the proposal opens the door to an appointee who may not be blind and thus not have direct experience with what it is like to live blind. I cannot say this is good for blind Iowans. I know I'm not supposed to say that. Emily Wharton, who has been director of the Iowa Department of the Blind since 2016 and was born legally blind, told state lawmakers during a legislative hearing of the state agency directors who have testified to lawmakers on the Reynolds administration's state government realignment bill have all praised the proposal. The state estimates that there are roughly 54,000 Iowans who've experienced vision loss. The Iowa Department for the Blind helps educate and train and empower blind Iowans to develop their independence and job skills. Eight blind Iowans testified during Monday's hearing, while many others listened, some of those who spoke praise the services that Iowa provides to blind residents, especially compared with other states. They said that they worry that those state-run programs could become less valuable if the agency is directed by someone without the proper expertise. I've heard our governor say many times that Iowans know what's best for Iowans. I would think that would go for blind Iowans too, says Mike Jones. A blind man from Des Moines, blind Iowans know what's best for blind Iowans. Becky Young, president of the Des Moines chapter of the National Federation of the Blind, said that she has been impressed by how Iowa State services help blind residents and that she also worries what the program could look like in the future under, under Reynolds' proposal. These students are prepared. They're confident blind people, said Young who was born blind. It won't be a good thing without blind people running the department, blind people who know about blindness, not some ophthalmologist who is more concerned about the sight sighted than they are the blind. An official from the governor's office who attended the hearing said that the proposal to make the department head of a gubernatorial appointee matches with the philosophical approach to Reynolds' broader state government reorganization which is that agency's heads within the executive branch, should be accountable to the governor. At some point, we have to start paying attention to the people who are impacted 
by these legislative decisions, says Senator Nate Bolton, a Democrat from Des Moines and one of the lawmakers on the panel that is considering the legislation. Bolton noted that the meeting itself provided an example of why the involvement of experts is important. Even though the proposal includes uh, moving the Iowa School for the Deaf in Council Bluffs from under the State Board of Regents to the State Education Department, no American Sign Language signer was there for the hearing. And lawmakers and staff had a difficult time communicating with the blind Iowans who wished to speak. The people are telling us without exception that this is a bad idea. People who have experiences and knowledge, Bolton said. Lawmakers said that they will continue their work on the governor's proposal, Senate Study Bill 1123, which is nearly 1,600 pages long and lays out a reorganization and streaming of state government. Florists, merchants ready for a busy Valentine's Day. Cedar Valley retailers expect roses and cookies and candy to be big sellers at Bancroft's Flowers and Greenhouses. Owner Melanie Nudson, who prepared to send nearly 5,000 roses out the door today for Valentine's Day. Our Valentine orders have increased over the last years, said Nudson, owner of the Cedar Falls Flower Shop. I think part of that is because the Super Bowl is over and Valentine's Day didn't fall on a Monday this year, so people have had time to remember to place their orders. Her six-person design team has been busy preparing, or I should say prepping, excuse me, prepping flowers for today's rush since last week. The crew also worked long hours over the weekend preparing flower orders so that we would be ready to make our deliveries and prepared for any last-minute orders that come in, Nutson goes on to say. A dozen roses, a box of chocolates, or conversation hearts, however you spell love, L-O-V-E. Americans aren't sitting on the sidelines for the first major spending holiday since the Christmas season. The National Retail Federation predicts consumers will spend nearly $26 billion dollars for Valentine's Day. That's an 8% increase from 2022, while inflation has pushed up the cost of roses and candy and cards and restaurant dining and gifts. Consumers are undeterred when it comes to Valentine's Day. More than half of the consumers will spend an average of $192.80 this year, about $18 more than was spent last year. It makes 2023 one of the highest spending years since NRF began tracking true love ways in 2004. The record is $27.4 billion spent in 2020. Love and appreciation is being extended to family and friends and pets and co-workers, teachers and others. According to the NRF survey, consumers ages 35 to 44 will spend the most to shower their sweethearts with love, $335.71, compared to $142.91 for the average consumer. Candy is the most popular gift, followed by greeting cards and flowers and evening out and jewelry based on consumer spending plans, the survey also reported. Valentine's Day is a hectic holiday for florists across the Cedar Valley, 
who place their orders weeks, even months in advance, with shipments, shipments time to arrive in peak condition. Open carry gun exercise held. Group goes to police, sheriff's department to audit their rights. In Waterloo, a few weeks ago, Bo Bish was found guilty of interfering with an arrest and search near, near his home. Over the weekend, Bish and half a dozen of his associates went to the Waterloo Police Department and the Blackhawk County Sheriff's Office carrying guns and cell phone tripods. Bish, who owns a YouTube channel called Flex Your Freedoms, had a De Daniel Defense Air 15-style rifle hanging from a sling and magazine pouches on his body armor. Level 4 vest, he said, tapping his chest. You have to shoot me with some AP, armor-piercing rounds, or maybe just headshots. Hopefully, it never will happen. The social media flock was performing what they call a Second Amendment audit, exercising their right to carry weapons while rolling video to record reactions from the public and the police. The visit was largely ignored by law enforcement. Officers were scarce. The Waterloo Police Department and the Blackhawk County Sheriff's Office declined to comment. Another YouTuber from Cedar Rapids, who goes by RPM uh, Tree Vietnam, clad in a red ski mask, held up a bright green sign declaring hug and AR, an AR owner. I really believe that the Second Amendment is really reflecting on the natural rights of a man to defend his life with whatever he can get his hands on. We are hornets. You're supposed to expect the stinger, Tree said into a cell phone camera, live streaming the event. Another Illinois tyrant news traveled from Illinois. The group did get some honks from passing motorists. It's more support for the freedom we have out here, Bish said. Last month, a Black Hawk County jury found Bish guilty of misdemeanor interference with official acts in connection with an April, 20, uh, an April 2022 incident where officers pushed him back while he was filming an arrest. Sentencing will be later this month. All right, let's go on here uh, to the uh, next page here. The Cedar Valley section of the paper, Ideas of Love and Life Explored in Play. Prelude to Kiss to be presented at Waterloo Community Playhouse. In Waterloo, Jacob Vernon Ria is a pushover for heartwarming rom-coms. They're charming and optimistic, and I'm a sucker for happy endings. I like experiencing a play or a movie that makes me feel hopeful. A romantic comedy is one of those relatively few genres or archetypes that can almost always count on giving you that sort of a feeling, said Rhea. If it's a little off-killer, bordering on absurdist, well, so much the better. That's why he jumped at the opportunity to direct Prelude to a Kiss, the romantic fantasy that opens this weekend at the Waterloo Community Playhouse. Performances are at 7 p.m. on Friday and Saturday, 2 p.m. on Sunday, on the Hope Martin Theater stage at the Waterloo Center for the Arts. And that's located at 225 Commercial Street. And the show continues February 3rd, excuse me, I should say February 23rd through February 26th. 
based on a play by Craig Lucas. The love story examines the marriage vow for better or worse in a compelling way. On Peter and Rita's wedding day, she is kissed by an elderly stranger and fate intervenes, causing their souls to switch places. Rita, who is pessimistic by nature, finds herself living in the old man's body and complicating matters. The old man is dying. Peter must find a way to reverse the spell. Bethany Nelson is cast as Rita, while Riha stepped into Peter's role after the actor originally cast was unable to continue. Mostly it means more work, Rhea explained. Dialogue was a big part of the decision-making process about finding a replacement who could earn the, who learn the lines quickly and had the time free to commit to the show. The only person I know we could get on that deadline was me. It was easier for me to learn the dialogue because I've heard it so much and knew the character. But still, it was a lot to ram into my brain so quickly, he said, laughing. Jesse Cosby Center looks to future. And this is also in Waterloo. Nonprofit now led by new director prepares for 56th annual gala. Maybe Caston, age 80, has been a receptionist at the Jesse Cosby Center for 20 years and knows firsthand the value it provides Blackhawk County. Caston was a senior looking to get out of the house and do something new. She ended up walking away one day with a job she loves there, which allows her to meet people of all different backgrounds and cultures. She points out how the nonprofit at the corner of Onita's and Mobile Street provides valuable services, programming, especially for seniors, and others who are trying to live on their own. It's a place for older people to spend time with other people of the same age, Kasson says. It gets them out of the house, keeps their minds active, and we want to learn and keep going. It keeps them out of the rocking chair, she added. The community center is preparing to host its 56th annual Black and White Gala on March 4th at the UAW Local 838 Hall at 2615 Washington Street the nonprofit's largest fundraiser each year. The doors open at 5 p.m. with guests able to enjoy a dinner, silent auction, and live music while wearing their favorite black tie formal wear. The meal starts at 6 p.m. Expectations are that the 250 to 300 people will be in attendance at Waterloo. Mayor Quentin Hart will also be the MC. So, to purchase tickets... And view the sponsorship, go online to bit, that's B-I-T, period, L-Y, forward slash, J-C-G-A-L-A-23. Or you can stop by the headquarters at 1112 Mobile Street during business hours from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. People love dressing up and have a good time, said director Deborah Harmon. They put on their finest, laugh and talk and socialize and love to dance and take pictures. Okay, let's see what's el what else is going on here in Waterloo. Parking lot works, or I should say parking lot work moves into final phases. $2 million cost estimated for an art center paving will wrap up in 2024. In Waterloo, the parking lot at the Waterloo Center of the Arts is nearing the final stage of construction. 
The city council said last week that they had proved the cost of the completion for the latest financial portion of the lot. There is one more section of the parking lot to go from Commercial Street up to two-thirds of the way toward the building. The recently finished portion was from right in front of the building. And that came after the installation of colored concrete in the parking lot. These first uh, two phases cost $1.2 million. The third phase is expected to cost about $900,000. City engineer Jamie Knutson said, but has to go through the city's bidding process first. The project began in fiscal year 2021 and has included electrical projects, relocating utilities, and removing old building foundations. Knutson said that there was also an issue with a subcontractor that was removed from the job, so another company was brought in to take over. This has taken longer than any of us were hoping for, Knutson goes on to say. The final section of the parking lot will undergo construction in 2024 and take a couple months to complete. Last fall, the Waterloo Center for the Arts unveiled Phelps Melody Park. It includes six outdoor musical instruments. Next to the park, there is a pair of kaleidoscope structures. The inside of the WCA could have some upgrades coming, too. A study by InVision Architecture is looking at the Waterloo Community Playhouse based across the street in the Walker Building, being housed solely the Art Center. The firm will review the playhouse and center space to see what options there may be for a future project. The Walker Building holds a small theater space, administrative offices and a classroom, costume storage and rentals, and small prop storage. The Hope Martin Theater inside the WCA is in need of a new lighting system. While the theater was shut down during the pandemic, a new stage floor was installed. All right, what else is going on here? In Cedar Falls, arrest in Cedar Falls rollover crash. Authorities have arrested a driver involved in a crash that left his passenger with serious injuries early on Sunday. Police arrested 29-year-old Tanner Lee Henning of Dyke on charges of second defense operating while offense of operating uh, while intoxicated, carrying weapons while intoxicating, driving while suspended, and failure to maintain control. The accident happened about 2.25 a.m. on Sunday at the intersection of Iowa Highway 58 and Ridgeway Avenue. Police said that it appeared that uh, Tanner was driving a Buick LaCrosse through the intersection when he lost control. The car entered a ditch and rolled. Henning suffered minor injuries, and his passenger had critical injuries. He was taken to a local hospital, police say. Officers found a discarded 38 caliber revolver and three rounds nearby, according to court records. R.J. McElroy's trust gift supports local Girl Scouts program, and this is also for Waterloo. Girl Scouts welcomed a gift of $20,000 from R.J. Milkroy Trust to support staffed outreach programs for Girl Scouts in Blackhawk County. We're beyond grateful to the R.J. Milkroy Trust, said Diane Nelson, CEO of Girl Scouts of Eastern Iowa and Western Illinois. We depend on gifts like this from our community to ensure all girls get to be Girl Scouts. The Girl Scout staff-led program is offered to girls in schools or partner sites 
where there are many obstacles to become a Girl Scout. It's a program designed to remove barriers, preventing a girl from joining, such as securing volunteers, paying the $25 membership fee, transportation, etc. Girl Scouts provide paid staff to deliver the program right in the school or partner site during or after the school day. Also in Cedar Falls, 12th African American Children and Family Families Conference is set for Friday. In Cedar Falls, Kenneth Morris Jr., a descendant of Frederick Douglass and Booker T. Washington, will serve as key note speaker for the 12th African American Children and Families Conference, scheduled as virtual conference from 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. on Friday. Morris will address history, human rights, and the power of one as part of a lineup of speakers and panelists focused on subject, or excuse me, I should say on topics, rather, pardon me, supporting the theme of education, justice, and equality, a shared responsibility. The event hosted by the University of Northern Iowa College of Education was co-founded by Emerita Professor Gloria Kirkland Holmes, who died recently. She will be recognized with a tribute that begins the day's schedule. In addition to Morris's presentation, the conference includes 12 concurrent sessions. Topics range from the power of good writing skills and policies that impact equity in early childhood education to navigating pre uh, predominantly white campuses and how curriculum can affirm race, culture, and identity in early childroom classrooms. For fall, or excuse me, I should say for full schedule information and to register, go to A. AC.UNI.EDU. The conference is free to UNI facility staff and students, as well as middle and high school students. There is a fee of $50 for the general public. Social work continuing education credits are also being offered. Iowa lawmakers urge Biden to approve year round E15. Iowa's congressional delegation recently joined bipartisan lawmakers from Midwestern states in a letter calling on President Joe Biden's administration to permit the year-round sale of higher ethanol fuel blends. Biden issued a waiver last year suspending a federal rule that prevents such sales of E15, a blended fuel with 15% ethanol marked, or I should say marketed rather, to consumers as unleaded 88 that's often cheaper than regular gasoline. Since then, eight Midwestern governors, including Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, have petitioned the Environmental Protection Agency to permanently end the seasonal limitations. The EPA has yet to sign off on the request. Iowa Attorney General Brina Byrd also joined fellow attorneys general in sending a letter to the EPA demanding let the Biden administration respond to the request. E15 currently is banned in several states from June 1st to the 15th of September, as it is believed to contribute to smog during warmer weather. Ethanol supporters dispute the claim. You see, emissions modeling shows that total emissions with E15 are less than E10, a, blend fuel, a blended fuel with 10% ethanol that has long been the standard blend, and gasoline with no renewable fuel. DNR plan cuts 10,000 tons of mid-American emissions. A proposal 
from Iowa Department of Natural Resources Revision would require Mid-American Energy to improve equipment at select coal-fired power plants by the end of this year, which would reduce about 9,700 tons of sulfur dioxide emissions per year and help prevent haze in natural areas. Haze is when air pollution absorbs or scatters sunlight and obstructs visibility. Air pollutants can come from sources like power plants, using fossil fuels, car exhausts, and wildfires. In the Midwest, haze is primarily made from particles of sulfates, nitrates, organic carbon, soot, and materials from the Earth's crust. The federal region, uh, regional haze rule was announced in 1999 under the Clean Air Act to eliminate human-made visibility impairments in 156 national parks and wilderness areas by 2064. States are required to submit 10-year plans for restoring natural visibility conditions, along with progress reports every five years. Iowa doesn't contain any areas that are protected under this rule, nor is it within 186 miles of any such areas. And let's just look at some of these uh, two um, Met briefs. Waverly Vets plan a fish fish fry on Friday. The um, Waverly Area Veterans Post is offering its monthly fish fry on Friday at its headquarters at 1300 4th Avenue, NW. Carry out is 5 to 6 p.m. Dine in is 5.30 to 7 p.m. You may call 319-483-9287. To place an order by Thursday at 4 p.m., sit-down reservations can be made but are not required. The menu will also include uh, cod loin, baked beans, potato salad, and fixins for $14. Sons of Norway meeting scheduled in Cedar Falls. The Sons of Norway Soglimit Lodge meeting with, uh, well, I should say meeting, will be held at 9.30 a.m. on February 25th at the Cedar Falls Women's Club at 304 Clay Street. And reservations can be made at 310-277-2294. Dave Swenson will present Scandinavian fiddler tunes as part of the meetings program. All right, now we're going to turn the page again, and we're going to take a look at... um, the Nation and the World, and News Digest. Study, Lunch Law Lowered Kids BMI. A 2010 federal law that boosted nutrition standards for schools, meals may have begun to help slow the rise in obesity among American children's, and oh, I should say America's children's, even teenagers who can buy their own snacks, a new study showed. A national study, which was released on Monday, found a small but significant decline in the average body mass index of more than 14,000 school kids ages 5 through 18, whose heights and weights were tracked before and after implementation of the Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act of 2010. The study is new evidence that improving the quality of school meals through legislation might be one way to help shift the trajectory of childhood obesity, which has been rising for decades and now affects about one in five U.S. kids. Whether the program has has begun to turn the tide 
for the whole country and not just for the groups of kids studied is still unclear. About 30 million children in the U.S. receive school lunches each day. In New York, truck hits, injures eight on NYC sidewalks. A man driving a U-Haul truck swerved onto sidewalks and plowed into scooter riders in New York City on Monday, injuring at least eight people before police were able to pin the careening vehicle against a building following a miles-long pursuit. At least eight people were hurt, including two people who were in critical condition, authorities said. Police Commissioner Kichant Sewell said that there was no evidence of, of terrorism involved. The truck sped through the Bay Ridge neighborhood of Brooklyn before police stopped it more than three miles away near the entrance to a tunnel leading, them, uh, leading from Brooklyn to Manhattan. The driver was arrested. Police didn't immediately identify the suspect, but his son identified him as Wang Soar, saying that he had had a history of mental illness. All right, uh, we've got a few obituary uh, readings here uh, to, talk, to talk to you about. But bef before I do that, I do want to remind you that you're listening to IRIS, which is the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind. I am your reader, Peter Welch. And let's take a look. We've got, let's see here, three today. The first one is Rita Blake. And Rita Blake has passed on Sunday, the 12th of February, at the Cedar Valley Hospice Home in Waterloo. Memorial visitation for Rita will be held on Thursday, February 16th, from 4 p.m. until the time of the memorial service at 6 p.m. at Locke Funeral Home at Tower Park at 4140 Kimball Avenue in Waterloo. Memorials may be directed to the family where they will be, uh, be able to donate to a charity that meant something dear to Rita. And you can do that at www.lockfuneralsservices.com. Quincy Frederick, age 19, has passed away on Saturday on the 11th of February from injuries sustained as a passenger in an automobile collision. Funeral services will be uh, held at 11 a.m. on Friday the 17th uh, of February, 2023, at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Cedar Falls. Visitation is from 4 to 8 p.m. Thursday at the church, and one hour prior to the service on Friday, burial at Hillside Cemetery in Cedar Falls. All are welcome at the family home following burial services, and they are located at 6031 Leversey Road in Cedar Falls to celebrate Quincy's life. Memorials may be directed to the family. And online condolences may be left at www.richardsonfuneralservices or service, excuse me, dot com. That's R I C H A R D S O N F U N E R A L S E R V I C E dot com. And finally, John. Mielert uh, has passed at the age of 86 of uh, Cedar Falls on the 12th of February. And a visitation will be held on Sunday, the 19th of February from 3 to 6 with a Masonic service at 3 o'clock at the Zion Lutheran Church in Dysart, 
which is in Iowa. The funeral will be held Monday, the 20th, 20th of February at 10 a.m. at Zion Lutheran Church in Dysart. In lieu of flowers, memorials may be directed to uh, polycystic kidney disease at, and I'm going to spell this at pkdcure.org. Bright Focus for Macular Degenerative Research at brightfocus.org, Cedar Valley Hospice at cvhospice.org and Zion Lutheran Church in Dysart. All right, let's uh, let's continue on on news briefs. Anti-Semitism. More than four in 10 Jews in the U.S. feel their status in America is less secure than it was a year earlier. According to a new survey by the American Jewish Community, the survey conducted in the fall of 2022 was released Monday by the AJ City, a prominent Jewish advocacy organization. Water safety. A West Virginia water utility said on Sunday that it's enhancing its water treatment process as a precaution following the derailment of a train hauling chemicals that later sent up a toxic plume in Ohio. Climate targets. And the report concludes... Major brands are exaggerating how ambitious their efforts to cut greenhouse gas emissions are. The report published Monday by New Climate Institute and Carbon Market Watch examined 24 companies, but it found that only one company shipping from Maersk had climate plans with reasonable integrity. Capital Architect President Joe Biden announced Monday that he fired the embattled architect of the Capitol, Brett Blanton, following a scathing inspector general report on his personal and professional management and calls for his removal. An inspector general report released last year found administrative, ethical, and policy violations by Blanton, a Trump-era appointee. In Israel, tens of thousands of Israelis on Monday protested outside the parliament building and a show of force against Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu as his government formally launched its contentious plan to overhaul the country's legal system. South China Sea. The the Philippines on Monday accused a Chinese Coast Guard ship of hitting a Philippine Coast Guard vessel with a military-grade laser and temporarily blinding some of its crew in the disputed South China Sea calling it a blatant violation of of Manila's sovereign rights. Okay, um, let's take a look now at Turkey. Uh, I'm sure you're all very much aware uh, of the tragic uh, occurrences uh, over there. Survivors are seeking meals and shelter. Long-shot rescues begin to wane. Death toll surpasses 35,000 Thousands left homeless by a massive earthquake that struck Turkey and Syria a week ago, packed into crowded tents or lined up in the streets Monday for hot meals as the desperate search for survivors entered its last hours. Rescue teams that included Turkish coal miners and experts using sniffer dogs and thermal cameras searched pulverized apartment blocks for signs of life. In southern Hatay province, rescuers cheered a 13-year-old boy identified only by his first name, Cain, was pulled from the rubble. 
Stories of near-miraculous rescues flooded the airwaves in recent days, including many that were broadcast live on Turkish TV and beamed around the world. But tens of thousands of dead have been found during that same period. Experts say that the window for such rescues has nearly closed, given the length of time that has passed, the fact that temperatures have fallen to 21 degrees Fahrenheit, and the severity of the building collapses. The 7.8 magnitude earthquake and its aftershocks struck a southeastern Turkey area and northern Syria on the 6th of February, reducing huge swaths of towns and cities to mountains of broken concrete and twisted metal. The death toll has surpassed 35,000. In some areas, such teams placed signs that read Ses Yok, or No Sound, in front of buildings that they're inspecting for signs of life. Haber Turk Television reported, in Anatakia, people left signs near rubble with their phone numbers on them asking crews to contact them if they find bodies. The quake's financial damage in Turkey alone was estimated at $84.1 billion, according to the Turkish Enterprise and Business Confederation, a non-governmental business organization. Elsewhere, Turkey offered to open a second border crossing to assist the international aid effort to Syria, and the United Nations said a lot of delicate discussions were taking place to open more border crossings from Turkey to Syria. Some 62 miles from the epicenter, almost no houses were left. Standing in the village of Polat, where residents salvaged refrigerators and washing machines and other goods from wrecked homes, not enough tents have arrived for the homeless, forcing families to share the tents that are, ver- that are available. We sleep in the mud all together with two, three, and even four families. One victim, Kuryufaka, said, Okay, let's take a look at some other work here and other news. Ruling release report on election. Parts of special grand jury's findings to be made public this week in Atlanta. A Georgia judge on Monday ordered the partial release this week of a report by a special grand jury that investigated efforts by former President Donald Trump and his allies to overturn his 2020 election loss. The report's introduction and conclusion, as well as a section in which the grand jurors expressed concerns that some witnesses might have lied under oath, will be released on Thursday, said Fulton County Sheriff, excuse me, I should say, Fulton County Superior Court Judge Robert McBurney. Any recommendations on who should or should not be prosecuted will remain secret for now to protect their due process rights, McBurney wrote. McBurney's order came three weeks after hearing arguments from prosecutors who urged the report to be kept secret until he can decide on charges in a coalition of media organizations which pressed for its release. The special grand jury spent about seven months hearing testimony from witnesses, including high-profile Trump allies, such as attorney Rudy Giuliani, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, high-ranking George officials as well. McBurney wrote that the report includes recommendations for Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis, including a roster of who should or should not be indicted and for what 
in relation to the conduct and aftermath of the 2020 general elections in Georgia. Okay, let's take a look at some international news. Moldova says that Moscow plots to topple the, the country in Moldova. The Moldova president outlined Monday what she described as a plot by Moscow to overthrow her country's government using external saboteurs, put the nation at the disposal of Russia, and derail its aspirations to one day join the European Union. President Sandu's briefing comes a week after neighboring Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky said that his country intercepted plans by Russian secret services to destroy Moldova, claims that were later confirmed by Moldovan intelligence officials. The plan for the next period involves actions with the involvement of diversionists with military training, camouflaged in civilian clothes, who will undertake violent actions, attack some state buildings, even take hostages, Sando told reporters at a briefing. Since Russia invaded Ukraine nearly a year ago, Moldova, a former Soviet republic of about 2.6 million people, has sought to forge closer ties with its Western partners. And last June, it was granted EU candidate status the same day as Ukraine. Meanwhile, fierce battles raged outside Bakhmut as Russian forces pushed their advance on the eastern city with heavy shelling and infantry attacks, Ukraine presidential office said Monday with at least five civilians killed. Okay, let's turn now to something that uh, I'm sure most of us are interested in, the television column. Uh, This article is called Sharing Crackdown, How Netflix is Redefining Its Rules for Users. Nearly six years ago, Netflix made a simple claim on Twitter, love is sharing a password. A lot of love has been going around since then. More than 100 million Netflix users share passwords with their friends, families, ex, and even complete strangers, according to the company's fourth quarter shareholder letter. But it seems that the streaming giant has changed its mind on the meaning of love. Netflix recently announced it will begin rolling out new password sharing rules in Canada, New Zealand, Portugal, and Spain. The announcement comes after Netflix updated its online frequently asked question page with information on account sharing. The company also detailed how it aims to crack down on password sharing in the U.S. in a January company earnings call. The biggest change and the one that caused all the rage is that Netflix redefined which users can share an account. The new password sharing rules detailed protocols to prevent people in different households from using the same Netflix account. But on February 1st, the streaming platform said it had errantly posted this information and that the original version has been removed from the website according to the to the streamable. The first line in the updated FAQ now reads A Netflix account is for people who live together in a single household. A household at Netflix is defined as based on proximity and determined by location-based information such as IP addresses and device IDs. So, in the U.S., if all the users on a Netflix account live in the same location, well, there's no problem. If you're a college student 
a frequent traveling traveler or someone who doesn't have a home base, it gets a little trickier. Once you start introducing multiple devices, Wi-Fi networks and locations, that's where the new rules expected to take, in fact, take effect in March will come into play. In Netflix's most recent earnings call, Gregory Peters, chief operating officer and chief product officer, said that Netflix is seeking to monetize the viewing value that it delivers to get subscribers' growth back on track. We've got folks that are watching Netflix who aren't paying us as part of a basically borrowing somebody else's credentials, Peter says. And our goal is over this year to basically work through that situation and convert many of those folks to be paid accounts or to have the account owner pay for them. Peter's noted that this would not be a universally popular move. We'll see a bit of cancellation to that, he says. Here's what to know about the new passenger sharing policy. Number one, the new rules. For users in Canada, New Zealand, Portugal, and Spain, the new password sharing rule have begun, Netflix said in its online announcement. Netflix said it will help users set up a primary location where anyone living in that household can access the account. For those living outside the primary household, Netflix will introduce the option to transfer a profile to a new paid account so that users can keep their personalized recommendations, viewing history, my list, saved games, and more. As for travelers, members can still easily watch Netflix on their personal devices or log into a new TV, like at a hotel or holiday rental, the company said. For members using a standard or premium plan, up to two people outside of a household can be added to the account at an additional charge. The out-of-household users will each have their own profile, personalized recommendations, and their own login and password. Users on basic and ad-supported plans will not be able to add more members. Number two, you can no longer share your Netflix account with someone who doesn't live in the same household. People who do not live in your household will need to use their own account to watch Netflix, the streaming service said online. Netflix said it may ask people to verify their device if someone logs into an account from a device outside the household. For now, the company says it won't automatically charge you if someone logs in outside your home network. And finally, number three, you'll need to verify your device. Let's say you're traveling and will be away from home for some time. If you try to access your Netflix account or sign into a device not associated with your home, Wi-Fi Netflix may ask you to verify your device. You'll have to enter a four-digit code sent to the account owner's email or phone within a 15-minute expiration window. We do this to confirm that the device using the account is authorized to do so what the streaming service said online. Netflix users in Chile, Costa Rica, Peru have to renew their account credentials every 31 days. And the streaming platform said that diverse, excuse me, I should say device verification rather, may be required periodically for users in the U.S. You won't have to verify your device if you're using the same internet connection in the primary account owner's household. To verify accounts within the same household, Netflix said it will use information including IP addresses, device IDs, and account activity from devices signed into 
the account. Okay, let's move on here. We've got some more television news for you. Uh, this being Tuesday, the 14th of September. This is the What to Watch column. Well, let's take a look here. We've got Heartbreak Island, which is a season premiere, and this is the third installment of this dating reality series, which finds another group of 20-something singles putting it all on the line in a bid to find their perfect partner. NBA Basketball, TNT, beginning at 6.30 p.m. live. Two of the Eastern Conference's best teams collide tonight in Milwaukee as the Boston Celtics take on the Bucks. TNT's second game as the Golden State Warriors visiting the L.A. Clippers. The Rookie, ABC, at 7 p.m. in the con. Lopez puts everything on the line to help Elja Stone take down a gang leader. FBI, CBS, 7 p.m. In the new episode, Protege, uh, Protege, the team investigates the murder of a professional informant after he's found dead outside in an abandoned factory in Red Hook. And I must uh, tell you, that is one of my favorite shows. 911 Lone Star on Fox at 7 p.m. Owen wears a wire to a meetup with O'Brien and the motorcycle gang in the new episode, Abandon. Night Court, NBC at 7 p.m. in Justice Buddies. We get tween nephew and some of his fellow students visiting the court for a school project, but things get out of hand for Abby and the Night Court team when the kids reveal their true motive is to grind the wheels of justice to a halt. Accused on Fox at 8 p.m. When Kendall learns his daughter was assaulted, his friends encourage him to take justice into his own hands in the new episode, Kendall's Story. On NBC at 8 uh, p.m., in The Return, a ruthless enemy holds the clearing captive, threatening to kill a beloved survivor if their demands for an unexpected item are not met. And that, is, again, is at 8 p.m. Will Trent on ABC at 9 p.m. in Should I Go Get My Tinfoil Hat? A double murder case leads the unit to investigate a software firm's activity behind closed doors. And if you are a fan of PBS, uh, Frontline at 9 uh, p.m., the report in Ukraine, Life Under Russia's Attack, offers a dramatic and intimate look inside the Russian assault on Kharkiv, presenting an updated account through a year of war, as told by civilians surviving underground, and the first responders risking their lives in Ukraine's second largest city. And of course, um, you've got Catch a Classic on TCM, Turner Classic Movies, and it's going to be the screwball comedy, Love is Closer Than You Think, and that's going to be starting at 7 p.m., and that will be followed by My Man Godfrey, and then Hands Across the Table, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and finally, The Awful Truth. Oh, and I also forgot one other one here, Cain and Mabel. That's also will be included. Excuse me. All right, let's take a look at Today in History. Today's highlight, 1989, Iran's Ayatollah Khomeini called Muslims to kill Salman Rushdie, author of the Satanic Verses, a novel condemned as blasphemous. On this date, in 1876, inventors Alexander Graham Bell and Alicia Gray applied separately for patents related to the telephone. 
the U.S. Supreme Court eventually ruled Bell the rightful inventor. In 1912, Arizona became the 48th state of the Union as President William Howard Taft signed a proclamation. 1913, labor leader Jimmy Hoffa was born in Brazil. College football coach Woody Hayes was born in Clifton, Ohio. Sports broadcaster Mel Allen was born in Birmingham, Alabama. In 1924, the Computing Tabulating Recording Company of New York was formally renamed International Business Machine, better known as IBM. In 1929, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre took place in Chicago Garage as seven rivals of Al Capone's gang were gunned down. In 1945, during World War II, British and Canadian forces reached the Rhine River in Germany. In 1967, Aretha Franklin recorded her cover of Otis Redding's Respect at Atlantic, Atlantic Records in New York. In 1984, six-year-old Stormy Jones became the world's first heart-liver transplant recipient when the surgery was performed at Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. Ten years ago, WMUT Olympic sprinter Oscar Pistorius shot and killed his girlfriend, Reva Steenkamp, at his home in Pretoria, South Africa. He was later convicted of murder and is serving a 13-year prison term. Five years ago, a gunman identified as a former student opened fire with a semi-automatic rifle at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School near Fort Lauderdale, killing 17 people in the nation's deadliest school shooting since the attack in Newton, Connecticut, more than five years earlier. Nicholas Cruz pleaded guilty to murder in October 2021 and was sentenced in November 2022 to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And finally, one year ago, the Kremlin signaled it was ready to keep talking with the West about security grievances that led to the Ukraine crisis, offering hope that Russia might not invade its neighbor within days. Russia would invade Ukraine less than a week later. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau invoked emergency powers to try to quell the protest by truck drivers and others who paralyzed Ottawa and blocked border crossings in anger over COVID-19 restrictions. And that does it for today here for the reading of The Courier for Tuesday, the 14th of February. And I am your host, Peter Welch, and you have been listening to IRIS, the Iowa Rating Information Services Network for the Blind and the Disabled. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye.
I'm getting older. Do I need to worry about falling? Yes, you do. Every year, one in four people 65 and older will experience a fall, and many result in serious injury. The majority of falls happen at home, so take a look around. Replace bulbs and add lighting to help you see obstacles. Remove things that can make you trip. Fix uneven steps and floors, and install handrails in bathrooms and on stairs. Consider balance or strength training exercises, which can help with agility. Get your eyes and hearing checked regularly. Changes in your hearing can affect your balance. To learn more, please talk to your doctor about steps you can take to help prevent a fall. You can also visit aarpfoundation.org or medicaremadeclear.com slash falls. This message was brought to you by United Healthcare and AARP Foundation.